Thank you, Ben. Um, I'm going to talk about a project I'm involved with that has the support of the Royal Commission as of last week. Um, it's a two-year fellowship, and it's, um, it's deliberately designed to be unreasonable for two years. So I'm, I'm up for being unreasonable. I think it's a, it's a nice challenge. Um, and uh, effectively, it's, the role of the Royal Commission is to make a big difference. That's its sort of strap line in some ways. And um, it's quite an interesting organization. Um, it says 12, 12 Nobel prize winners on there uh, who have been fellows. So it aims quite high, and so I've sort of risen to the challenge to say what do I do for the, the rest of my life, post-lifetime uh, achievement award, um, or midlife uh, achievement award, as I, as I often refer to. So um, apologies for the typo in smarturbanism.org.uk spotted by all the editors in this room, okay? But um, I'll get on with it. Um, I've, I've called the talk Walking with the Dreamers, and it comes from a poster um, that I, I have in my kitchen at my my wife bought um, after the Lifetime Achievement Awards, because at the Lifetime Achievement Awards, I said, we need more dreamers, we need more thinkers, we need more theorists, and uh, she thought this was cute. So um, we have it in a bit Rudyard Kipling for me. But um, it says, walk with the dreamers, the believers, the courageous, the cheerful, the planners, etc., etc. Uh, let their spirit ignite a fire within you to leave this world in a better place than you found it. Um, I have a number of issues with this poster, <laughs> but... Uh, I like, the, I like the idea of the dreamers, the dreamers' idea, and um, this idea that we, that we need thinkers, we need people who are deliberately thinking outside the box. Um, I'm also worried when I see the, the name of the person who, who wrote this quote. His name is Wilfred um, Peterson, not Wilfred Peterson. And it always looks disturbing. It looks like a typo in there. John would have spotted that. He would have picked it up. Um, but I'm more concerned with the word, the planners in there. Okay. How did they get on that list? Okay. Um, why do they deserve to stay on that list? And what do we need to do to keep them on that list? Because it's so critical that they are part of the, the dreamers, the believers, the courageous, the cheerful, the doers. Okay. Um, half a million planners worldwide. I think there's 30,000 registered planners in this country, 34 in the States. Um, all of them, if you ask all of them, they came into the practice to, uh, to make the world a better place. Okay. They saw it as a noble, noble profession. Um, I'd bet you that other than a couple, a couple of notable exceptions, most of them are making the place less worse at best. Okay, that would be my, my description. Now, I'm being deliberately provocative here. Um, most of them would say, if you, if you ask them to stick up their hand, um, are they making a difference? They'd probably say, uh, I don't know, sometimes, you know, maybe, possibly. Um, and actually, when they get challenged, they'd probably take their hand down anyway. So the secret, the secret here is, how do we get back the idea of proper urban planning? Into, into the system. Um, I've got lots of slides here, so it's going to take a bit long, this. Okay, so if you're bored, leave. Okay. Um, but let's get on with it. Okay. I'm also going to take you through three things that have happened to me this year that highlight the stupidity of the system. Okay, that's the important thing here. And the first is um, strategic housing allocations up in Scotland for Architecture and Design Scotland that Dave Simon and I went up to. Um, this idea that you identify a series of sites by inviting someone to put forward sites. You then sift them out on the basis where there's most opposition. And you're basically left with sites in exactly the wrong place. And not once did anyone look at the place. Okay? And yet that's the system. And you speak to them, you challenge these people. You say, why is it like that? Oh, just because, you know, just because. They're like, but hold on, tell me, where did it come from? Where did this whole thing come from? Why did this process take place like this? It's a policy. But where did policy come from? Don't know. Just because. So you get treated like a three-year-old kid if you ask too many questions. So strategic housing allocations up in Scotland. I know we don't do them in, the, in, in England anymore, but um, they're certainly used up there. 
and uh, it's a perfect example of stupid behavior. Um, the second is something that Hugo and I experienced recently working in a project in Bournemouth where uh, we're working on an incredibly important project. You can see the missiles. This is from Dr. Strangelove. Okay? And it was like a scene from Dr. Strangelove at our event when this strategic planner got up and said, oh, we've just done our plan. We can't change. You've got to come back in 2018 if you want to make a difference. <laughs> Hold on. How do you deal with complexity when you have a static plan? Oh, that's our policy. So where's your policy come from? It's just because. You know? So this idea that, that you deal with a complex issue that's changing all the time. The missiles are flying and you won't change your plan until 2018. Okay? So that's the, that's the second example of incredibly stupid behavior. And the third one is my own experience of trench warfare um, in a planning application I've been involved in recently, converting a shed, uh, a listed building okay, um, in a conservation area. And I'll just explain to you what it's like. You know. Firstly, you have to um, scale the heights of bureaucracy, stick your head above the parapet. Okay. You don't get shot. You expect it to run across this field and win over the other side. Okay. Um, it should take between 8 and 13 weeks okay, to get some sort of conclusion. It takes 13 months. That's the... Across there, you warned about the barbed wire. Okay? You warned about um, uh, the, the development control planners firing um, bullets at you and the historic building officers firing wooden cannonballs at you. Okay? <laughs> okay? So you run across this field, you run across this field, and um, you've got to be careful of trees, because trees are complex issues as well to deal with in the planning system. Um, you get held back. Uh, you get warned about friendly fire, because the most dangerous people are your neighbors who might shoot you. Okay? And then when you get to the other side, 13 months later, you're given a consent, uh, if you're still standing. And then you're given 26 different conditions to meet. That'll take another four to six weeks, technically four to six months. So how did it become like this? How did, how did we get to a point where the self-builders, the small guys doing four houses, the guys doing extensions to their properties or converting a shed like I wanted to do, how did it get to that point where we created this kind of behavior that's so obtuse that it just makes no sense whatsoever? This stuff used to be instinct to us. It used to be ability to build a house, to house yourself. This idea that you could do things in a fairly simple way has almost become impossible to achieve. And I wrote by design, okay? I thought, I walked in, I wrote by design, I better get me planning consent. No ways, you know? Triplicate, um, fill this in, words uh, that really meant you know, nothing to anyone, quite frankly. So this idea that a planning system has now become so tight and so constipated um, that we don't quite know what to do. Plan, design, and deliver, doesn't matter what we do, if we, the polyfiller profession that sits between the planning and the architecture profession, as has always been talked about, if the planning part doesn't work, it doesn't matter what we design. Okay? If we commissioned to go and do master plans for some of these strategic housing sites that uh, were invented up in Scotland, um, if we have to work within the system uh, that's uh, effectively um, difficult to deliver in, how do we ever achieve any, any real success? How do we ever achieve something that's going to make a big difference in our profession? So that's the first challenge, is unless we get the plan part right, it doesn't matter what plan, it doesn't matter what design works, it doesn't matter what deliver is, we need to get that first part right. Christopher Alexander uh, spoke about it when he, he spoke about this idea of searching for some kind of harmony between two intangibles, a form which we have not yet designed in a context which we cannot properly describe. Okay? And that's the complexity we work within. You know, it's difficult for us. You know, we've gone through, what, 15, 20 years of big bang master plans, 
where someone has always said, tell us what it looks like in 25 years' time, show us. Okay? And then you show them and we don't believe you. And of course it never happens. That's the second thing that happens. So this idea, how do we create a system that deals with this issue that Alexander talks about, this harmony between the two intangibles? And that's the challenge we have as, as, as urbanists. Um, we all know we want responsive environments, yet I think we're producing the most prescriptive environments. Okay? This idea that, that everything is nailed down. It's very, very difficult to, to create something that's complex, open, and adaptive within the framework of the planning system because everyone's obsessed with certainty. And um, if you look at where it all comes from, let's go back to 1947. So the height of big government, post-war reconstruction. Okay? Government problem ne never working as, as, as big as it was in terms of its hand that it had on most tillers. National Health Service, New Towns Act, the 1947 Town and Country Planning Act. And of course, sitting in there were the two big social utopian ideas of modernism and garden cities. Okay? And they were perfectly suited. They were top-down, driven by an agenda that says, we're going to tell people how to behave, what to do. Okay? That was the thing. People can't be trusted. We're going to have a vision. We're going to take this vision and we're going to implement it. And sitting in the DNA of the planning system are these two things. Okay? And they're still there. Okay? And apologies, Rob. I sort of changed some of your words, but um, absolutely brilliant um, observation. Um, garden cities movement plus rural location equals social utopia. That's the one I changed, I think, Rob. Social utopia plus urban brownfield location, urban village. These are all the things we've experienced in the past 15, 20 years, if we think about it. Urban village with sustainable uh, suburban location, sustainable urban extension, etc., plus hype with sustainable community. Sustainable community plus overgrown airfield is an eco town. <laughs> okay. But Rob's brilliant observation is that eco town plus national planning policy framework <laughs> equals garden city. Okay. So, I mean, how can we sit in a room like this and actually talk about progress? How can we talk about where we're going next when the flow is completely against us? Okay, so it doesn't matter what we do, okay, unless there's thinking at the higher level about the direction that we, we take in our neighborhoods, towns, and cities. We're going to have silly things like the Wolfson competition for garden cities being launched, things like that, which really completely buck the trend of where most people are going. So this idea that we're devoid of any thinking when it comes to what we do next, what we tell politicians about what we do next. Um, this is what lovely Jane Jacobs said about Ebenezer Howard. Um, his aim was the creation of self-sufficient towns, really very nice towns if you were docile and had no plans of your own and did not mind spending your life with others with no plans of their own. <laughs> okay. Now, she was sassy. She was sassy, I'll tell you that. She knew what she was saying. Okay. Um, so what we have now is the system, this perfect rationalized system, setting everything out perfectly in advance, this idea that you can fix everything with some sort of policy fix of some sort. And uh, it's a bit like tax avoidance or something. You know, something slips out, someone will put a policy bandage on it and put another policy bandage. So we've got this big complex thing that's just wrapped up with bandages all the time. And I love this Philip Howard statement, obsessed with certainty, we see almost nothing. So in our pursuit of absolute certainty, our pursuit of what it looked like in 25 years or how we're going to make sure that this thing is, is going to work, we see absolutely nothing. And there lies the, the big problem. Um, the system creates bigness. Okay? The only people who can play the game are the big ones, the big guys. Okay? So we have a system now which matches our banks, okay? where 80% of all transactions happen through five banks, 80% of all house building happens through five major contractors. Okay? That's exactly So we get this idea of bigness operating in economy, bigness operating in our industry, and there lies the whole issue. So these guys are armed with the best planning consultants and armed with the former design review guy from CABE or something, wherever it is, and they're going to go and make this thing happen. And they play the game. 
Okay? And there lies this whole sort of tensions between this idea about how do we release the potential of many people to do something different. What is this new normal, the new normal we live within? Okay, if 1947 was, was uh, the time that, that um, big government was operating, what is the new normal now? Well, the new normal is small, small government. And in fact, this matches what's happening in most parts of the world. This idea of decentralization, this idea of moving back towards localism in some form, this idea that hands off, okay? The tension is there all the time. Well, we're going to do this, but actually it doesn't ever really happen. And the planning system hasn't come along with it. So regardless of us talking about uh, the changes, particularly around the issues of, of localism, um, we still have a system that's designed for big government, designed for highly top-down, for the big players. Okay? It's not designed to release the potential of lots of small. Um, we also know 15 billion pounds spent in our industry, less than 1 billion. Most of that's going into social affordable housing. So this idea that we've got less money to spend, and everyone's saying we have to do more with less. Okay, there's the challenge to us. We can't sit back and think it's all going to get better. We're going to get back to that 15 billion spend. It's not going to happen. It's certainly not going to happen in my lifetime. And I plan on another 30 years. Okay? So there's an issue here about what we do. How do we change as an industry to do more with less? Okay, that's, the, that's the challenge. Um, it's changing in the economy already. We've seen the fastest number of startups, startups happening. Okay, this idea that you're getting few giants, but thousands of small startups happening on a regular basis and starting up quite informally. Okay. So how do we release that potential, the way in which urban development um, responds? Um, how do we do this? Okay. How do we get big, eaten by lots of small? Okay. That's the dream in some ways. Okay. And ideally, you probably want a shoal of big sitting alongside a shoal of small. If you look at most networks, they're combina combinations of big things and small things. But that's when I talk about, when I talk about massive small, the power of lots of things working together and releasing the potential of, of, of that to, to, to make this difference. I believe this paradigm um, shift has happened already. Okay? It's happened despite us. I think if we're sitting thinking about how we're going to get back onto track, okay, I think we need to be thinking differently anyway. Okay? It's, it, it, it behoves us to think in a, in a, in a completely different way. Um, Gloria Steinem said, without leaps of imagination and dreaming, we lose the excitement. So I come back to the dreaming story. Dreaming, after all, is a form of planning. Okay? So this idea is that we have to be thinking as professionals. Our job, our duty doesn't stop when we get our commission. Our duty is constantly to become better at what we do. And I think there's no better window of opportunity than at the moment. Because I think there's no thinking out there. There's almost nothing that's happening. If you go back and look at who you have to read, half these guys are dead and half of them are almost. Okay? All right? <laughs> Yet they're still the most profound writers we have in our industry. Okay? So what's happened since then? I and mean, we'll be talking about the Kevin Lynch Memorial Lecture tonight. Okay? Why aren't we talking about the something lecture that someone was doing a couple of years ago? We're talking about something that happened 40, 50 years ago. Okay? How do we actually get back this idea of people thinking in a theoretical way? Not in an academic theoretical way, but in a, in a theoretical way that translates into some form of action. Like Ebenezer Howard did, like Patrick Geddes did, all those people who did in the past. So I've been doing a lot more reading about these guys and actually found them incredibly brilliant. I read some of them when I was a student. Um, so Jane Jacobs, Maslow, the funny guy at the far end. I love him. Uh, he's got a brilliant saying. Um, if, you only, uh, if you only have a hammer, you tend to see every problem as a nail. Okay. <laughs> That's the planning system in some ways, if you think about it. Okay. So my historic building officer comes loaded with a hammer and nails me. <laughs> That's what she does. Okay. Um, Jane Jacobs is always even more sassy, okay? 
The pseudoscience of planning seems almost neurotic in its determination to imitate empirical failure and ignore empiric success. And this idea that we don't learn, okay, we think we can just fix it with a policy, just fix another little thing, fix another, patch it in a different way. So she wrote it. I don't know how long she's been dead, but it's so relevant today. Um, there is new thinking happening out there. There's thinking happening outside our industry, which I think is incredibly interesting. And uh, if you look at some of them happening around business, around sustainability, around social science, uh, mathematics, physics, um, organizational theory, there's some good writers out there. And there's actually some incredible scientists working on this at the moment. Okay, this isn't a sort of a, a dummy science anymore. There's some serious players looking at how we deal with the whole issue of bottom-up. Okay, how do we deal with this in, in business? How do we release the potential of your staff to do something? How do you release the potential of groups or networks to do things? Um, how do you release the potential of people to make this big difference? So let's just go through some of what some of these guys say. Uh, you've probably seen this before, and I think it's, it's my best poster. Okay, I'm going to put this up in my kitchen. I'll probably blow my wife out by doing this. But simple, clear purpose and principles give rise to complex and intelligent behavior. Complex rules and regulations give rise to simple and stupid behavior. Okay. It absolutely sums up where the planning system is. They've created stupid behavior. That's what they've done. They've just created stupid behavior. Okay. A lot more work has taken place around natural systems, the economy, the web, um, business, economics, all these sorts of things. And people are writing about it and their centers established at Santa Fe looking at this whole issue. Um, Oxford's created a new thing called Cabden, which is a complex um, complexity center, looking at all various aspects. And you're seeing engineers looking at it from a slightly different perspective. So there's a new science emerging uh, through this process. And um, Philip Ball says we can learn from this process. This isn't just about us using metaphors of nature. Okay, that's the problem. We're all guilty of using a word like the DNA of the city without really understanding it. This is actually a real science. We, cannot, we can talk about these things in proper scientific ways. So he says, we can look at human behavior. Human behavior is incredibly predictable. Okay? It's incredibly predictable. A person's quite complex, but people collectively act in particular ways because they want to conform. They want to be part of something. Most people. Okay? So human behavior can be looked at on the basis of a few, few simple postulates uh, and what he calls natural forces as well. Okay? We know we've been learning for years about the behavior of things like the traffic system in Delhi. Okay? Um, and other things, how do these things move, how do they flow, what are the simple rules that people use if they need to get through, through cities, the pedestrians, all those sort of things. So it's been at that level, but all of a sudden it's moved up a gear, okay, in terms of some of those people, people thinking about things. And Michael Batty at UCL has just launched a book called The New Science of Cities, and he talks about this idea of the new science. Okay, this is something that's accepted as new science, and it's something that he can, he can look at rigorously, prove, and, and take through a carefully, carefully judged argument. So he says we need to think of cities not just as artifacts, but as systems. In other words, we can't use the Kevin Lynch story anymore. We can't use by design. Long live by design. There's a different story out there. Okay? We need to think of it as systems built more like organisms than machines. Okay? This is not about the artifact of the city. This is about a complex system that works with lots of interactions taking place. <clears throat> 